How can you support the environment by voting? Let's learn together. Welcome. I'm Samantha Diliberti, founder of the social impact hub, Orange You Going, and this is Progress Through Purpose. Progress Through Purpose helps you discover issues you're passionate about, like the environment, social equality, affordable housing, and more, and makes it easy for you to affect change while connecting with like-minded New Yorkers in person. Learn from experts working on the vital issues impacting the largest city in the U.S., and hear the solutions they propose. Then meet us in person. Join the Og Squad, a community of changemakers who meet to affect change together. Build new friendships, expand your network, and advance your career through civic engagement, all while uplifting our city. Learn more about the movement at orangeyougoing.com. Hey, Og Squad. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today, we're speaking with Julie Tai, president of the New York League of Conservation Voters. Julie has led the league since 2018, during which time she's advocated for multiple pieces of legislation to support things like climate leadership, congestion pricing, reducing emissions from transportation and building sectors, and more. Julie previously served for more than 11 years at the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation. Julie, welcome, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me on today. So can you tell us a little bit about the League of Conservation Voters. What is your mission and the goal of your organization? Sure. So I'm actually president of both the New York League of Conservation Voters and the New York League of Conservation Voters Education Fund. And our goal is collectively between those two organizations is to educate, engage, and empower New Yorkers to be effective advocates for the environment and to make sure that we are electing for the environment, right? We work very hard to get candidates elected who prioritize the environment as part of their work in Albany or in local governments, whether that's New York City, Long Island, Westchester, or across the state. We know that we need to be putting protection of our resources like drinking water and land and fighting climate change front and center in political action because it's really what we need to do in order for us to make meaningful change for our communities. We also work very hard to be pragmatic in our approach to advocacy, where we want to make sure that we are adopting laws that are achievable, as well as making sure that we are nonpartisan, because we believe that clean air and clean water are not partisan issues, that these are things that Republicans and Democrats and people of all political stripes can support and do support. So that is certainly something that's very important to us as an organization because we want to make sure that we're, we're taking action regardless of who's in charge and making sure that those elected lawmakers are prioritizing fighting climate change and conservation. That's a really big mission um, and a very important one given the state of the world today. So how does the league go about realizing this goal? What are some of the tools and advocacy advocacy tools that you offer to your members? And also, how do people get involved and become a member of the league in order to get all of this great information? Sure. So first, we use a cycle of accountability for how we look at our policymakers, our lawmakers. We start by developing policy agendas, both for our work at the state level and at the local levels, working with our partners in the environmental community and environmental justice, in transportation and public health, so that we're developing a collaborative uh, agenda what we want to see move forward on the policy front. Then we hold, during the legislative time, we will issue memos on legislation to alert legislators about 
our position on various pieces of, of legislation. And then we use a scorecard to rate the elected officials and hold their feet to the fire, right? It's like, you say you're going to support the environment. Well, here are the bills that we prioritized. And did you vote for them? Or if the bills haven't been voted on, then did you co-sponsor the legislation to indicate your support for it? So we actually just issued our current scorecard for the state legislature today, which is very exciting. And, you know, we're, we're very happy to see that both the Senate and the Assembly have a 92 score. So I think that's an A, which is pretty darn good. And I think New York has been at the leadership front for many years in the environment. Um, and we know that we need to continue to do so. And then we use the information from our scorecard to help us in determining whether or not we're going to endorse candidates. Um, so we are unique in that we're the only environmental advocacy organization that really does political action directly. And we do endorse candidates at both the state, local, and federal level. And we use that process where we look at the scorecard for people who are in office, and we use that to evaluate them when we're making our decisions about endorsements. We do an interview process where our local chapters are the folks who help to interview the candidates and whether or not we decide to issue our seal of approval, which means that we know that they're going to be advocating for smart environmental policy. So we then, you know, during the legislative time, we advocate for specific policies, try to help create coalitions and work with others to make sure that bills stay on track. And we don't allow Albany to, you know, let potential environmental wins leave them on the table. Some of the tools that we provide to our members is we, you know, we have a big digital system that allows us to provide information to our members about legislation that's happening. We do a weekly newsletter called Eco Weekly on Mondays where we give a little highlight on, on some issues that are happening in New York and some news items that, that they may not have seen specific to the environment. We issue action alerts throughout the year when it gives an opportunity for members to go directly to their elected officials and let them know they care about legislation. Or, for example, we know what you got in your scorecard and thank you if you got an A or a B and no thank you if you didn't do so well in the scorecard. So that is something that, that we try to educate our members about what's happening with their elected officials. One of the other items that we do that I think that's relatively unique is we hold candidate forums on various races throughout the state. We don't do them for every race. If we've already taken action to endorse candidates in a race, we will not, for example, hold a candidate forum. But during the primary, for example, we held a candidate forum for a number of congressional seats, including two of the congressional districts on Long Island so that voters could be educated about where candidates stand on environmental issues before they go to the ballot. And we do that in nonpartisan ways. So that's part of our, our civic engagement mission here at the League of Conservation Voters. And of course, we remind people to vote. Um, it's the number one thing that you can do to act on climate change and the environment is to vote. Right? While there are actions that you and I can take as individuals, we need to do holistic things that only government can do through policy. And so really making sure that people are coming out to vote is our top mission. And so whether or not they're supporting our candidates, which obviously we hope that they do support the candidates that we've endorsed, but we want to make sure that people know when early voting starts, for example, because we just started that a couple of years ago here in New York to make it easier. 
people have 10 days before each of our elections where they can vote early, although it's not at the same place that they would vote normally on election day. We remind people when election day is, and we make sure that people are coming out to vote. So those are some of the tools that we provide. And of course, like everyone, we have a Facebook page and Twitter and Instagram, and we're starting to do more with using Reels as we move into this digital era. Yes, you got to reach the younger population with the Reels. (laughs) Um, So you outlined a lot, and some of it is pretty wonky. So I just want to kind of break some of that down. So from the voter perspective, people are busy. New Yorkers are busy. It's one of the reasons I created Orange You Going is to make it easier for people to get civically engaged. And it sounds like your mission is very similar. You're doing a lot of the legwork for New Yorkers and a lot of that research. So can you talk a little bit, you know, about what goes into, for example, the scorecard? How are you determining if a legislator is supporting the environment? Or maybe even taking a step back, how do you determine which bills are good for the environment? It sounds like a lot of heavy reading. What goes into that process? Sure. So as I mentioned, we develop a policy agenda working with our partners like the Nature Conservancy and the Natural Resources Defense Council, and we act for Environmental Justice and Riders Alliance and a variety of other groups to help identify what are the priorities for the coming year or two years when it comes to local policy work. And we typically try to cover some policies in a variety of key areas, but we have priorities that are working on how are we going to get to clean water. We are always working on climate change, including what do we need to do to make our buildings cleaner? What do we need to do to clean up our transportation system? How are we getting clean energy on the ground and in the grid? We're making sure that we're protecting parks and open space. We're making sure that we're protecting public health from environmental concerns, such as lead in drinking water or chemicals like PFAS, which no one had even heard of 10 years ago, in our clothing, for example. And so we take a look at the bills that we're tracking throughout the course of the year at the state level, and we look at the bills that we put memos on. Um, And we try to prioritize, again, those bills that are, are practical, that are achievable. And then, you know, we look at if a bill has passed, we looked at whether or not you voted on it. We tried to make it as non-discretionary as possible. It's really very concrete. Like you voted for it or you voted against it. It's very straightforward. If your bill didn't pass because we want to advocate for bills that still need to get done in future years, then we will evaluate it based on whether or not you co-sponsored the bill. And again, the point of that is that we're non-discretionary. We're not trying to you know, have areas of gray here. It's very black and white when it comes to whether or not you've co-sponsored legislation. Can we just break down really quickly what co-sponsoring legislation is? I think this is a great opportunity to give a, a bit of a 101. So a bill is introduced by a legislator who is considered the prime sponsor, and then additional members, and correct me if I'm wrong, but additional members can then show their support of the bill by co-sponsoring it. Is that correct? That's exactly right. Okay, great. Good for people and for New Yorkers to learn how our legislative process works. So something that you brought up was this idea of practicality. And I think Mm -hmm. that's also a very unique approach because it's easy to say we need to go all electric now, but there's a large system in place that needs to be, you know, it takes a lot of money to transition it over. So for example, the New York City Council recently passed a bill for buildings to convert them to cleaner energy. Can you 
talk a little bit about the state of the environment in New York and how we're doing in terms of environmentalism and environmental awareness and where you think we need to go. What do we still have to work on? Sure. So New York State passed in 2019 a law called the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act. And it's one of, if not the boldest environmental climate legislation in the country that requires the state to move to 100% clean energy, where we get our electricity from, by 2040, meaning that there is no emissions associated with the electricity that we get, right? Whereas now, you know, the New York City, the, the downstate grid is made up of 80 to 90% of the power comes from fossil fuels. Whereas the grid in upstate New York, which has a lot of hydropower and nuclear power, is about 90% clean, right? There's no emissions associated with that. And so that's really bold and ambitious. And the the law sets a little bit more specifics on how much offshore wind we want to get, which is about 9,000 megawatts, which is a lot of offshore wind, and how much storage we need to get, which actually the governor has already increased the goal for battery storage from what we had originally adopted in that law in 2019 because of the progress we're making and because of what we know about how much we need for, for to support the grid, make sure we have reliability and we never get into the situation that, that California often seems to be in with rolling blackouts. We have set major solar goals that are also been exceeded. We had set a goal of 6,000 megawatts of distributed solar, meaning like solar that you can get at a, at a more local level. And they've actually increased that goal to 10,000 or 10,000 megawatts, which is really exciting because we're on track already to meet that goal. But then it goes broader, right? Because I always say this, the electricity part of this is actually the easy part because the rest of the economy is supposed to be 85% emissions free by 2050. That is an incredibly uh, big goal. And the state right now is going through a process uh, through a group called the Climate Action Council, which is led by the Department of Environmental Conservation and the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority, or NYSERDA, to come up with a plan for how we're going to achieve that. And they're looking at the various sectors. They're looking at what are the pieces we need to tackle transportation, right? What are the pieces we need to tackle buildings? What are the pieces we need to tackle manufacturing? What are the pieces we need to tackle agriculture? And so it's real and and energy. So they've really gone through and identified some major policies that the state can and must adopt in order to make progress on that. You mentioned the New York City Council having passed a few laws to make our buildings cleaner. In New York City, unlike in most other places in the country and in the state, buildings are the number one source of climate pollution because so many people take mass transit. So it's not transportation, which is what it is just about everywhere else. And so, we, you know, we've adopted some bills that require large buildings to be much more energy efficient and to move to cleaner energy. And for new buildings to be, you know, zero emission in the next few years so that we're not constructing new buildings that are relying on fossil fuels, which is really what we need to do to take action. And that's something that we're trying to figure out a path for for the rest of the state. And I will just encourage anyone who is visiting the city you will see on some of these large buildings a new grade, and it'll tell you how energy efficient that building is, which is really interesting. It's like a way to educate the public on building efficiency. It is. It is. And, and it's going to require a lot of work and probably some more support. Um, certainly, the Congress's Inflation Reduction Act includes significant funding for energy efficiency, for making buildings more energy efficient. 
And the state just passed a bill that's on our scorecard this year. We call it the Building Codes and Standards legislation that requires, for example, the appliances that you buy to be more energy efficient, to be as energy efficient as possible. So you're reducing the amount of energy that you need, which of course will help reduce your electric bill as well. So that's very exciting. And to make sure that our buildings are being built to the best possible building code as we move forward, because we know that we need to tackle building pollution as well. So New York is doing a lot. We have the big, bold legislation that sets out the long-term goal. And now we're chipping away at what do we need to do to achieve that. And that'll require a lot of different, in many cases, smaller pieces of legislation, but that will help us start to reduce our emissions and make real progress on that. And we have an opportunity. In November, one of the things that's on the ballot, besides just the candidates, I mean, and there's this is a year where the governor's up for election and the attorney general and the controller, but also the entire state legislature and your members of Congress and Senator Schumer is up for reelection. But there's also a ballot proposition, which is the Clean Water, Clean Air and Green Jobs Environmental Bond Act, which is Proposition 1. And Julie, before we get into the specifics, can you explain what a proposition is? Sure. So... Oftentimes, the state legislature will pass legislation, and it's just between them and the governor who who determines it. But sometimes we take things to the voters. A few years ago, there were some constitutional amendments, for example, because when when the state wants to change the constitution, the people of the state of New York have to approve it after the legislature has passed it in two separately elected legislatures. In this case, this is a request for funding that the people of the state of New York get to vote on. And so it's very exciting. We haven't had an opportunity for the voters to say yes or no. Hopefully, yes. We want to invest in the environment since 1996, which is the last time we passed a bond act. And so this is very exciting. This is not California. You know, they do a lot more propositions than we do. We don't have a right to referendum in here in the state of New York the way they do in California. So this is a relatively unusual circumstance, but it is an opportunity for New Yorkers to say, yes, legislature and governor, we think you're, you're doing, putting something good on the ballot here with an environmental bond act so that the state can issue funding to support projects to help us invest in clean water, in water infrastructure, um, protecting parks and investing in parks and open space preservation. But also there's funding for addressing climate change for probably one of the first times. And one of the this is the largest single investment the state has ever made into the environment. So it's very exciting. That is really exciting. And it's an opportunity for voters to really have an additional direct effect and a direct voice. This episode is brought to you by City and State Media, New York's premier outlet for New York politics and policy. Subscribe to the must-read daily newsletter, First Read, at cityandstateny.com. First Read is the quickest way to stay up to date on NY's biggest political and policy news. Always be in the know. Visit cityandstateny.com to learn more. So it sounds like in order to accomplish all of these things, it's really requiring a lot of industry. And I think that individual New Yorkers hear a lot about recycling and what we can do individually. But at the top of the podcast, you mentioned that there is this need for systemic change. So we've talked about organizations like yours, we've talked about government, what is the role for businesses? And is there a 
way that the average New Yorker can use their buying power to support businesses that are supporting these environmental goals? So the business community does have a role. In particular, right now, you know, private sector is, for example, the renewable energy industry is driven by private sector players who are building out our solar, our wind, our transmission to get the clean power to the people who need it. And we have, you know, opportunities for consumers to choose through their utility to purchase clean energy. And that's, that's something that, that consumers can do individually is say, I want to get my energy from a renewable energy source. We have opportunities for the business community to be using better and easier to recycle materials in their products. And we want to encourage that. But we really need, from that perspective, we need the state to set some parameters on what that means. And so that's some of the legislation we're pushing for. It's called Extended Producer Responsibility. You know, we have a, a program that just started, for example, this year, where now you can take all those cans of paint out of your basement or your closet, and you can bring them back to be recycled. And that's something that's happening now because of an extended producer responsibility law. So that is where the paint industry is actually coming together to collect that paint and to either recycle it or to reuse it in many cases for things like Habitat for Humanity, which is a really much better use than sitting around your basement and collecting dust. <laughs> so that is something that, that's really exciting. You know, there are a lot of, you know, new companies coming online that are looking at clean, you know, transportation, for example. Purchasing an electric car is something that we've been encouraging people through our Plug It In New York program, where through our education fund, we've been trying to educate people about some of the questions they have about electric vehicles. I myself purchased one this year because I've been telling everybody they need to get an electric car. I wanted to experience it for myself. And um, how is it? What's your rating? <laughs> I love it so far. And, you know, I live in New York City. I don't have a driveway. I park in a garage. My garage does not have charging. I have not yet once had what they call range anxiety, <laughs> which is where you're not sure you're going to be able to get from where you are to where you need to go without mm -hmm. being able to charge. And I've been able to charge, you know, yesterday I played golf and they had a charger at the golf course. There so they're are, popping up. And that's another example are. of these businesses, you know, showing up and doing doing what they can. So that's these little pieces. But then, of course, as that's you right. mentioned, the systemic pieces as well. Yep. No, and, and we need more of that. So I actually, for example, I was in Long Island last week and I was at two different town supervisors offices, both of which had uh, charging at their town halls, which is fantastic. And I said, well, we should pass some legislation <laughs> to get <laughs> more of these chargers in more places. And we can start with those public places like parks mm. um, uh, where you're going to spend some time like with your family, for example. And we want to try to encourage, you know, places like grocery stores and some other types of places that you spend some time in to have electric vehicle charging. I know that in some cases, people like it because they, their shoppers stay a little bit longer, buy a few more things while they're charging their vehicles. Right. That's um, good so. for, for purchasing power. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But certainly, there's a lot more we can do. Recycling and food waste in particular is sort of one of my hot topics. You know, the state passed a, a law a few years ago, a law I actually wrote before I left state government, that requires large producers of food waste. We're talking about people who generate two tons of food waste per week, every week for an entire year. 
So like would that be like a restaurant? Yeah. What kind of it, it institution could be a larger does that? restaurant? It could be more. It's going to be like a medium to large grocery store. Could be an institution like a hospital or a you know a stadium or something along those lines. So and food manufacturers, for example, um, and they're required now to recycle their waste if there's a recycler that's relatively nearby. Or and donate any edible food in the first instance so that we're reducing the amount of food waste that we're generating in the first place. And this is something that we need to do not just to reduce the amount of waste that's going to landfill, but it's also something that we need to do to fight climate change. And so there's an opportunity there for us as consumers to do that. It's something that you could potentially do in your backyard. When I owned a home in Albany, I had a little backyard composter that was enclosed and I could turn it and I bought it at Home Depot. It was very easy. And it's amazing how much less your garbage smells <laughs> when you're not putting your food waste in it. And I would use that and I would turn it into compost and just throw it in my garden. It was fantastic. But we need to do things again, as we said at the very beginning here, we need systematic change. You know, we need governments to be providing that. So one of our priorities is to get more local governments to be providing food waste composting opportunities for their residents. Um, it's something that we've been advocating for very much here in New York City, but there are a lot of other communities where we want to see that happen as well. Ultimately, we want everyone in the state of New York to have access to that because that is really a resource that we're putting in the landfill where all it does is emit greenhouse gases, whereas you can turn that into soil amendments with compost. You can put it through an anaerobic digester, which creates energy, um, the, extracts the energy from it. And then creates either a, a fuel source or, and it actually creates both a fuel source and a soil amendment. So basically compost. So it's really exciting because setting into a landfill is really a waste of space and adds to greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and so I've that's seen, something that we'd really I, like to see. Yeah, I've seen that they're coming out too with some of these smaller composting machines for... Yep. Apartment. So it's definitely becoming something that is more accessible. But yeah, the vision is kind of like right now we have our trash, our recycling bin, we need a compost bin and right. how to how to fit that into our small apartments. But you know, and mm -hmm. I think it also in some way makes you more aware of what you're producing mm -hmm. and brings you back in some way to the earth. I mean, even if you're in New York City and you're giving away your composting to a nonprofit or a, you know, a park organization, knowing that that is going to be used to plant and garden and, you know, returning that to the earth, I think is really interesting. A very Absolutely. full cycle idea. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the other things that we can do as consumers, and, and hopefully the government will provide incentives to do this, is, you know, I always say we can't drive our way into a climate crisis, right? Like we do, the vehicles that we have, as particular our individual vehicles, will ultimately need to be electric. And I think we saw from this year and the roller coaster ride we've been on with fossil fuels associated with gasoline and, and diesel prices is, you know, being part of that, that global or being subject to that geopolitical forces that impacts the price of oil really is very unpredictable, whereas the price of electricity tends to be fairly stable. And so we need to move in that direction. But we also need to use more mass transit and we need to use more alternative means of getting around. So, you know, you mentioned congestion pricing. That's one of the things that we've been working on. Congestion pricing will, will provide some price signals to people to encourage them to take mass transit into Manhattan's central business district. 
which is, you know, 60th Street and below. And they're investing those dollars to make improvements to the subway system, to the Metro North, to the Long Island Railroad. We want to make sure that there's more people getting into buses. And we want those buses to be electric. And the MTA has made a commitment to move 500 vehicles to electric in this particular capital plan. And we also need to use things like micromobility. So e-bikes and e-scooters and using those alternative means of transportation for some some of our way of getting around. In the city, I have to tell you, I love city bike. It's tremendous. It's like you don't need to worry about you know, locking your, your bike up right somewhere. You can use it in only one direction, right? I'll, I'll sometimes take the subway to work and I'll take a city bike home. It's really a great opportunity. And for that, in every community, we need you know, a safe, protected bike lane so that people can know that they can have confidence that when they get on a bike, that they'll be safe. Or And e-bikes and e-scooters are tremendous in that they help you get there faster so you can use it for longer distances. I actually took one from my office in the financial district to the middle of Queens for an event last week. Oh, wow. Um, that's really far. <laughs> it was, but it was an e-bike. So I wasn't, you know, a big sweaty mess when I got there. And it allows you to go a lot further just using a bike. So it's a, an option that I think is really good. And there for a lot of lower income people, it's a lot cheaper to get a bike or an e-bike than it is to buy a car. Right. Yeah. Again, just kind of talking about how it all fits together and this need for having this kind of zoomed out perspective, as well as the zoomed in perspective of what we're doing day to day. So what is your call to action for New Yorkers? And what's the fastest and easiest way for listeners to get involved with the league? Sure. So the first thing we need New Yorkers to do is to make sure they're registered to vote if they're not. Because whoever's registered and cares about our, our environment, we also need people to vote for NYLCB endorsed candidates. And as I mentioned earlier, flip that ballot over and vote yes on Proposition 1, the Environmental Bond Act. So those are some things we'd like folks to do right away. You know, you can become a member very easily or help us to volunteer to support candidates or to get some work done. You can go to nylcv.org to learn more. And as I mentioned, we are on Twitter at NYLCV, and we're on Facebook, and we're on Instagram also at NYLCV. So we're really excited to have the opportunity to be on your podcast today, Sam. And we want to make sure that we're, we're getting all of our New Yorkers who care about the environment to call their representatives and to write letters to make your voices heard. And most importantly, is to vote. I love that message. Great way to end. Julie, thank you so much for joining us today. It was incredibly educational. I learned a lot. And thank you for all that you do. Great. Thank you so much for having us on. Get the most of Orange You Going, New York's social impact hub. When you join the Og Squad for free, you receive event notifications curated to your interests. Never miss a change-making event. Orange You Going to be there? Are you hosting a social impact event? Post it for free on orangeyougoing.com to reach the most engaged New Yorkers. When you post with us, we promote it to our email list of nearly 10,000 subscribers across social media and on orangeyougoing.com. Let's engage New Yorkers together.